Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Compressed FM, a podcast all about web development and design with a little bit of zest. This is another live episode on Twitch with the audio posted after the fact. We have Becca on to talk about building meaningful communities, and we're super excited about that. This is the point where I would usually do both myself and Amy's intros. Amy is unfortunately not with us because she is traveling, but everyone, my name is James Q. Quick, and I'm a staff developer advocate at Planet Scale. And for this episode, we are welcoming two brand new sponsors in Hashnode and Daily Dev, two of my favorite products. So Hashnode is an amazing platform, uh, blogging platform specifically targeted at developers that I see people post new blog content every single day, especially in our Discord. So I love Hashnode. I cross post all of my posts to Hashnode from my personal site to Hashnode. And then Daily.dev is a way to become aware of the blog posts that are out there and the content that's out there as an extension in your browser. So every time you open a new page before you navigate to wherever you're going, it'll show you a curated feed of relevant articles based on the topics that you're interested in. So thank you to both Hashnode and Daily Dev for sponsoring. So Becca, welcome. We've had like one video chat, I think, since we saw each other back in September. But anyway, welcome. Good to see you. I'm excited about it. Do you want to tell people a little bit about your background and who you are? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am, well, Becca, I am a (laughs) (laughs) technical community builder at DeepGram, which I just started a little over a month ago. I was a front-end developer before that for a couple of years. And before that, I taught college English for 10 years. So I am still feel pretty new to tech. And somewhere in there, I started the developer community Virtual Coffee, and I'm one of the maintainers there. I am also a mom of four kids, and I think 50% of them are home right now. I think maybe some of them went with my dad, so (laughs) they may or may not make an appearance, but I think that's it about me. Yeah. Well, we love guest appearances, so we have plenty of dogs in the background or whatever happens happens oh here we go uh since amy is not here she just commented in the chat amy has been opening up with parenting tips in some of our recent episodes by popular demand so i'm putting you on the spot becca do you have any parenting tips that you would like to kick the podcast off with since you just kind of mentioned your kids Yes, sure. I have uh, my favorite parenting tip is if you have to make it to school on time and your kids are late, uh, offer them an Oreo if they get in the car on time. (laughs) Game changer. Game Game changer changer. for us. So always always have the the Oreos on deck on in supply. Yes. What the the phrasing is. (laughs) Nobody is allowed to touch the Oreos unless Unless they they go to school on time in the car. Yes. Nice. Mm -hmm. Or my wife and I picked up my nephews yesterday from school. And took them to track practice. And so we had plenty, but also just enough time (laughs) because things just take longer to get them home, get them changed, get their water bottles and stuff and go to the track practice. But it all worked out. Yeah, I feel that. I picked up some of my kids at 2.30 and then some of them at 4.30 and some of them at 5.30. So I, I now have become a professional driver as well. Yeah. So another thing we've been doing to open up the podcast is me having a rant. And I'll rant just slightly in support of what you just said as a non-parent and especially a like not having multiple kids like not only do i not have one i don't have multiple i like really don't understand how working parents do all of that stuff especially like i think you and i both probably have a lot of flexibility where you can go and do those things you can work later if you need to like you can adjust your work schedule and especially when you were doing freelance stuff before that but as working parent like two working parents i really just don't know like it's got to be so hard and that like really intimidates me as a potential parent at some point. Anyway, so shout out to all the parents that are able to juggle 
all the things that they do. And especially me knowing enough about your background and community involvement and why we're here, like that takes so much of your time as well. So I don't know. You yeah. and many other people amaze me. I don't know how people do it all the time. I We're lucky that we have a babysitter we love who comes mm-hmm. over and does some cleaning and helps with the kids a couple days after school. And that's huge because it gives me a little bit of a buffer to be able to do other things or mm-hmm. finish up work. But there's a lot of going all day every day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My wife is commenting. She's hanging out listening. She's also sitting right next to me. Fun fact. Uh, but she said her mom always had a hard cutoff to get her to practice, but then would take some work home after that. So still be able to get stuff done, but tough juggling both. And one of the things I want, like you mentioned in your intro that I kind of want to get just more details for people's awareness and kind of the reasoning behind it is the virtual coffee community. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. So I'd love if you can explain like, what are the different things that virtual coffee does? And maybe before that, like why virtual coffee? Like where did that idea come from for you to get that started? Okay, yeah, we'll start at the beginning. So when the pandemic hit, I had been a developer for about eight months. I was working for Dan Ott the whole time. And I felt like I finally was getting in my groove. And then I got a phone call that morning, come pick up your kids' books. They're going home for the next three weeks. They did not ever (laughs) go back to school that year. And when I got home, I had a Slack message from Dan hey, want to meet up? And then I found out that I had four kids home and I didn't have a job. Uh, Our contract was kind of put on pause. And so then I was left in this situation where I was kind of interviewing for the first time because Dan and I had a conversation. I put out a tweet. I'm looking for work. This is my experience. And that was it. So I was really fortunate to not have to go through all of the interviewing and the intensity that comes with that. But now I was also having to teach my kids with the work that they sent home. And I was just kind of overwhelmed as <laughs> a, a really uh, um, understatement there. Yep. So I also found I went to a boot camp and it was work at your own pace. I didn't have a huge network of developers that I knew. Pretty much everybody I knew through Twitter. I didn't know anybody locally outside of a big city. So there's not meetups or anything. And so I didn't really know what to expect from interviews. I didn't know how to talk about myself or what I was worth. You know, I, I had a one interview where they wanted to hire me and and the woman said, uh, I think I asked for $70 an hour maybe. And she said, well, well, no, you're not worth that. We were going to offer you 30. <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I made $30 an hour teaching private swim lessons when I was in high school. I, I think mm-hmm. I'm worth more than that, <laughs> but I'm not sure. And that's kind of where virtual coffee came from because I did have people on Twitter and I said, does anybody want to meet for virtual coffee? So it got started in that very generic way. And now it's kind of, we just stuck with the name. And I found that there were other people that were out there in very similar situations. They were impacted by the pandemic. We were all kind of isolated and going through this together. And there wasn't a real network of people. And so we were meeting once a week. And then I think two weeks in, I, it was maybe 9am on Tuesdays, folks on the West Coast said, well, what about us? Mm-hmm. We want to meet too. I'm like, well, okay, <laughs> well, we'll add another time. And there were at least one week, I felt like we were doing double sessions. It was like 9am and noon. And I'm like, I cannot do that. I am 
an introvert and <laughs> that much talking to people straight, I need a break. So that's when we kind of switched it and then just kept going with it. You know, people wanted to see other things. They wanted to learn from each other. They wanted to be able to share. So, you know, we added lunch and learns and a Slack and a newsletter and a podcast and lightning talks. It just, <laughs> someone asks for it and it happens. And you do it, yeah. <laughs> Well, I get that. I mean, again, I kind of hinted at this with having four kids, but also me already knowing, and we talk about this a lot, the amount of stuff that you do for virtual coffee and both of us trying to figure out how to kind of optimize efficiency for the things that we want to do. Because I, I think we both have a hard time of wanting, always wanting to do more. There's always another conversation we could have. There's always another one-on-one. There's always another meeting that we could do once a week or regularly scheduled thing. And it's mentally, it is kind of tough, but I have to kind of remind myself and this would be my reminder for you that I think you already know too. Like, even though we can't do everything that we want to, we're still able to do a lot with the time that we do have. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, I don't know if I tweeted this somewhere, but I said, you know, it'd be great to have 36 hours in the day and then I could breathe or Mm -hmm. something. And (laughs) and a number of people said, you would just fill that 36 hours with other things. Yeah, I guess you know me. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> there are always things to be done and problems to solve. And I think that's one of the reasons why supporting community members is really important because then you have other people who are taking mm-hmm. on some of those things. Or, you know, I've learned a lot about making processes or creating them in ways that help to solve some of that inefficiency. So it is, it's that battle, like always trying to be efficient, but then also saying, Hey, I'm a human being. I should maybe make space for not always moving. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like, I've been pretty adamant about this too. And I've had managers tell me this, that I have a lot of respect for like you, if you're not fully taking care of yourself, you're not going to be as able to take care of other people. So you making sure that yourself is in a good position is going to make you a better employee because you'll be less distracted at work. You'll be able to focus, you'll be less just stressed out about things if you take care of yourself first. And I think, like I said, it's something both of us and many other people that are active in the community and want to do more struggle with. But I think yourself has to come first in the direction of being able to help out more and more people. Yeah, absolutely. I had an interview last summer, maybe, and they asked me, how do you deal with burnout? And I said, well, I just go very hard. And then I get exhausted for like about a week. And then I start over. <laughs> like, it, it was, It's not really a joke because that's how <laughs> I normally do things. But, you know, I know that that's not something ideally that we're doing like it's and not only that but when you have a community of people you don't want to be that example you tell other mm-hmm. people to be to do reasonable yeah. Yeah. and and then you put that extra pressure on yourself it's hard not to but continuing to work towards that i think is good for everybody yeah absolutely thinking about there's, there's always so many different ways i want to take a conversation i'm kind of curious on the technical side for the website specifically, like what's the tech stack for the website? And are there any integrations? I don't know the answer to this, like for podcast RSS feed to be able to display that stuff or like, where is, do you have a headless CMS or anything that you use? Like what's the setup for the site? And you have contributors for that, I think as well. So like any thoughts on like getting people to contribute to the community via code for the website as an example? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny that you asked this question because right now we're using 11T, but just this morning, I think Dan was live streaming because we're going to be moving over to Remix for things. And he's rolled out Craft CMS for some of the events that we're doing, which has been really nice and useful. So we're in that transition phase because I think we have a lot of really cool things that will be coming up in the future. So we're moving over in that Remix Direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. So you'll be moving to headless CMS with graph CMS. Is that what you said? We have our new events. I guess CMS is with craft. So craft, not graph. Mm-hmm. Okay. You mentioned 11 D. So this is actually one that I have been interested in, but I've never actually used. So 11 D is a static site generator with just kind of vanilla JavaScript. There's no react felt angular view. Like it's just JavaScript. Is that right? I'm pretty sure. I will admit that I spend most of my time in the site doing things that I know how to do. So Mm -hmm. I haven't had to dive into it. And I was just thinking, I have this domain, which is communitybuilder.dev. And I'm like very excited about a project that I'm going to be working on with that. I I think I'm going to do it with 11T. And then Dan was like, I'm moving the site over to Remix. I'm like, I should probably use Remix. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I wonder if that's kind of part of a conversation too. While you're active in the community, there's this balance of like hearing about new things all the time and getting overwhelmed, but then also hearing about new things in a positive way where now you're more exposed to things that you may not have heard about before. So actually, realistic question, like for this new website, which way do you think you'd actually go? Do you think you'd jump and and try out Remix or stick with something that you spent more time with in 11D? I think uh, I will probably use Remix. Both of my blogs are done with Jekyll. Jekyll Hmm. has been there for me from the very beginning and it works. You know, I'm not trying to do anything fancy or special. I bought themes for both of them because I am not great at design. And so those will stay there because I'm comfortable with them. I can get things up and make changes very quickly. But for communitybuilder.dev, I have like a larger vision for what I want to do with it. And I want to be able to learn Remix because we're going to be using it for virtual coffee. It's a good way to kind of learn all of those things and use it in a practical and meaningful way. So I find like, it's really easy to get off of there. There's so many cool things out there, right? Like I want to do them all. Mm -hmm. But if I focus on, I'm going to use this technology and I'm going to learn it for this thing and building a project. I love using Mm -hmm. a technology that's practical for me. That's probably the best way for me to stay focused and like not try and grab all of the shiny things. And then, you know, have that reflected in both of the sites. Like this is a good way to really learn it well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at is have something tangible that you want to work on. And just like you'll have a lot of learning along the way. But you mentioned being excited about that's the thing that I think is going to keep people going. Like if you're just doing something to try to do it, and it's not something you really care about, it's easy to be like, I don't want to do this anymore when it gets tough. And I think my gauge is like, we both are like so active in the community and we hear a lot. So after it's kind of a repetition thing for me, like I heard about GraphQL for months and like at least a year before I ever looked into it. I heard about React for a couple of years before I ever tried out React. I heard about Svelte for months and now I'm like, prob- I mean, I have some of the biggest pieces of Svelte kit content out there just because there's not that many people, not because 
mine is that great. I mean, I think it's good, but just because it was like, I listened to people talk about it and then adopted it earlier than a lot of people have. So I definitely like sit back and wait. I'm not one that'll immediately jump on something just because it's there. But after I hear about it more and more, then I want to jump in and I want to see what all the hype is about. Yeah, for sure. I started learning TensorFlow.js. I was doing some live streams as I was going through Gantt Laborde's book and writing blog posts. And it was just really, I was learning the stuff that I had wanted to, and there was some incentive to be able to do it. And I was also learning how to live stream at the same time. So I felt like I was all over the place. (laughs) But I was Googling some question I had about TensorFlow.js and my blog post showed up like at the top of the first page. And I thought, well, this is not a good sign (laughs) because (laughs) I'm not an expert in any of this stuff. And I know it doesn't answer my question, but just like kind of what you're saying, it's been around. There's not Mm -hmm. that much content around it. And it's interesting to kind of like explore what that's like as you're learning, building community, Mm -hmm. being a content creator. Yeah, well, and like Amy and I have talked a ton about creating content on here and the benefit it can have for other people, but also for yourself in the exact same scenario. Like I've gone back and Googled a question and found my article and I've been like, like you would think the person writing the content or creating the video is the expert. And it's not the case, right? You just have to know enough about that thing at that time mm-hmm. to be able to teach other people. So that's like hopefully an encouraging thing for people is that you don't have to be the expert to create content. You just have to know that thing at the time and you may forget that thing and use that as a reference for yourself later on. Great. I'm working on a vanilla JS project right now, and I have not done that in a long time. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a humbling experience <laughs> revisiting and realizing how much I don't know. But I actually, I was like, what resources? There aren't great resources for what I'm looking for. I'm like, I'm going to go to James's uh, YouTube channel <laughs> and start there. And that's literally where I started and then kind of like made way from there and got very distracted by CSS as I was mm-hmm. working on it too. The vanilla stuff is really fun. I don't want to discourage people who like want to try React first. My personal opinion, and this is a debated topic in the tech community, my personal opinion though is having that core vanilla JavaScript skill set and understanding helps enable you to learn frameworks easier because you understand the things that that they're taking care of for you. So I do a pretty good amount of just vanilla stuff in my content. And it's not because like, honestly, if I were to ever build an app of any sort, I can't really think of a reason why I would actually build it in vanilla JavaScript. But I love to go back and do these demos because I think it's really good practice for me. Right. When I was learning, I really hated JavaScript. I thought I'll never be a front end developer. This is all terrible. I also learned Rails and I thought, well, I'll be a Rails developer. That was not the job that I got. So I went with front end. And I do like how easy React makes it. And I say, like, go for whatever path works for you. I wanted to take a brief minute to talk about daily.dev. First, I think we all recognize how hard it is to stay up to date with the latest and greatest within the tech community. But there are resources like daily.dev that provide a community-based feed of the best developer news, helping you stay current. Daily.dev aggregates hundreds of sources every few minutes and creates a personalized feed just for you according to your interests. So whether that's web dev, data science, or Elixir, anything you might be interested in, it has content for you. There is a web version of the product if you want to see exactly what the feed looks like. Otherwise, just go over to daily.dev and there's a link directly on the homepage to install their extension within your browser. From there, anytime you want to load a new tab, you'll see the news feed. James and I both have it installed and use it to stay current ourselves and so should you. 
So go check it out at daily.dev. Special thanks to daily.dev for being a Compressed FM sponsor. Yesterday, we were talking in virtual coffee, and I was saying how when I'm looking, I would say I'm like early, mid-career. And when I'm looking at people who are into Senior Plus, I can see that they have deeper understanding of some of these basic concepts than I do that allows them to build on that and better understand how to make decisions about code and why they're making those decisions. And so for me, I think with the desire to level up, it's going to start with revisiting those basic principles so I can do the same thing. So I think, you know, like if you want to be senior, then grasp those concepts. Yep. It's funny because it's like this pyramid thing and people talk about like foundations of learning language or any skill or any trade or whatever. But if you do build that foundation, like all the other stuff above it is built on top of it, right? So you have to have these progressive building blocks because you get to a point and this is my thing with like, if people go into React first, is like you suddenly have an issue and you're not familiar enough with like vanilla JavaScript to kind of conceptually understand what's going on or similar with CSS. Like I made the mistake for, I think personally, of going into Bootstrap. So I was like, oh, I can use this and I can build something really quickly. And I couldn't have done that myself with regular CSS, but something wouldn't line up the way I thought it should. And I didn't know how to debug. I didn't know how to go in and look at CSS and figure out how all this stuff related. So those building blocks then enable you to just continue to make vertical progression, if that's a thing, because they're all built on top of those foundations. Yeah, I love that. That was me working with CSS Mm -hmm. yesterday. I'm like, why are these buttons not where I want them to be? You know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they need to stay put and they keep moving. Right. And it was the same thing because I jumped in. When you are in a boot camp, it's easy to, I think, like move past the basics because Mm -hmm. you think like, well, this isn't going to help me or I don't need to know this because there are easier ways to do it. And and I think it's okay. But Mm -hmm. at some point, you're going to have to stop and learn those things. Yeah, that's a good caveat, I think, for the bootcamp scenario too, because I've taught a couple of rounds of a bootcamp called Launch Code, which has been one of the coolest experiences of my life, to be quite honest, because there's just like name after name of people who, after going through that bootcamp, completely transition their careers and have jobs in tech. Obviously, you know a little something about that, but bootcamps move so fast to do the content justice as you're continuing to move so fast, I think you have to sacrifice a little bit of deeper foundation knowledge. Like we would introduce HTML, then the next day was CSS. And these were like three hour classes at night after hours. And it's like, I was just blatantly honest with people. You don't know anything about HTML and CSS at this point. That's fine. That's how we're going through this. That's how we're going to progress. But when we get done with this bootcamp, we've exposed you to so many different things it's time to go back to square one and make sure that you take some of that dedicated time to reinforce and learn those concepts deeper. Yeah, for sure. And I think one of the best things that anybody can learn is how to ask the right questions. So, you know, it makes sense for boot camps to present basic knowledge Mm -hmm. or to move quickly because just that's the way that it, it has to right now. But what's the most valuable skill is learning how to find the answers Mm -hmm. to your questions, knowing where to look for resources. You know, if you give them the answers all of the time, then there's not going to be that vital skill to being a developer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this thing that I have become adamant about in teaching. And the example I'll use is my nephew one time, he was in the spelling bee and he was practicing his words and he would say like three letters of a seven letter word or whatever. And then he would pause to read my reaction. 
And I wouldn't react. He could be saying the most made up letters ever. I wouldn't react negatively or positively because that means that like, if you then get into the spelling bee, you're not going to have that crutch because you don't know what it's like to say the whole word while facing that doubt the entire time, right? So let people actually go through the progression to see where they are and let them feel what it's like to not know and then have a discussion after. And my wife is sitting next to me and she's gone through some web development stuff, which has been a lot of fun and it's been frustrating for her at times, but I think she's enjoyed it. But she will, like, we know the thing we need to solve and she'll ask, oh, do I use this? I'm like, well, don't ask me a question. Like either, either you tell me what you think it is or let's have a discussion about like what knowledge we may be missing instead of just kind of throwing stuff out there, which in fairness to everyone is exactly what I did early on. It's exactly what I do a lot of times now. It's just like, I'll just try it until it works. But taking a step back and really thinking about what's there, what you know and what you don't know and being able to address those, I think is more impactful longer term. Yeah, for sure. And I know when I started, so I did the self-paced flat iron course and there wasn't a lot of interaction with teachers or anything. It was a lot of just uh, async, which worked for me really well at that time. And that's what I needed, but I didn't have the ability to ask questions or to learn how to ask them. And my husband is a developer too. And when I started my first contracting job, I would like ask him, am I asking this thing right in this message? Because I don't want to send it without. So he was like proofreading how to ask questions. And it took me a long time to figure out how to do that. And that was one of those things that, okay, this was a skill that I wish I would have learned. How do I communicate about my code? And so, you know, being able to ask those questions is really important because that's where you'll find success. Mm -hmm. Yep. And part of the basics of that, that we talk about in our discord and other places is like, as you ask a question, make it specific, add as much context around what's going on. You can't just say it doesn't work. Tell me what isn't working exactly. Send code snippets and images of the error message. Tell us things that you've tried to address the issue. Tell us specific things about that, that you're confused about. A lot of people, I think, they don't have the understanding of what it takes to answer a question. So they just put it out there. It doesn't work. And as a mentor, as a senior person, it's like, I can't help you based on that. You have to give me a lot more for me to be able to kind of go through my thought process of things that you can try. Yeah, I'm trying to look for this. We have a thread in our virtual coffee discussions on GitHub Hmm. about this exact thing. Because, you know, (laughs) when someone comes in and says, like, I've got a problem, like, okay, you have to be able to break this down. And so at some point, it's going to go on our site in some form written up. So, you know, we can refer people to the resource Mm. and help them to develop those skills on how to ask questions or to ask meaningful questions, I guess. I love that. Yeah. I feel like I want to take so much of the good stuff that you've done and incorporate that in the stuff that I do. Like I, we've talked about like the activities and stuff that you do with monthly challenges and different things like that. I've always thought that's so good. And then we've kind of done like one-off explanations to people of you should be communicating these things and questions that you ask, but it would be great for us to have, you know, a formal piece of like, here's a website that's going to stay up or a webpage that's going to stay up. Here's the things you need to consider and have that like documented for people to actually go and find. Yeah. Context is really important and that helps other people to help you. It helps you to learn and to refer back to that thing. Yep. Absolutely. And again, goes back to the teaching thing, right? Like you may teach yourself because you may forget, or maybe it's a checklist for you to go back and look at yourself as you're asking questions. Yeah. Um, I think it's almost the opposite of what we learn in school because 
there are answers. You know, we have all these, my kids just took standardized tests. It's like, they're expected to have these answers and to have memorized these things Mm -hmm. rather than let's teach our kids, our students, how to think through the problem, how to ask the right questions. So we've got a comment in chat that I think is very relevant to that. So Digi Driver says, one of the game-changing moments in my career was when I went to my boss with a problem expecting him to guide me to a solution when the email came back saying, and this is what the boss said back to him, no, that's why we hired you. You need to find the answer. I think you you could probably add a little more context, like supportive context to not just say you need to find the answer be done. And maybe there was, but He says that that unlocked their journey to much more experienced debugging. Sometimes failing forward means you see a closed door. And I like this idea of failing forward because we we look at so many things like they're a failure. But like if, if someone comes to me to debug a problem and I'm able to see what's wrong immediately, they kind of they're like, oh, how in the world did you find that so quickly? But the reality is because I've done that mistake like over and over and over again, right? I mean, it's the cliche of they're not failures, they're learning opportunities. But cliches usually are very true, because that's how you build up that knowledge is experiencing those situations. And I guarantee you, if you spend an hour debugging something, you're going to remember to look for that thing next time you have that same problem. Right. Absolutely. And I think it helps you to start gauging like at what point you should be asking questions mm-hmm. to, because yep. that's another thing. You know, if you're stuck for five minutes, there's some time that you need to take. And I know some mm-hmm. people say, well, if you've been stuck for 15 minutes, then ask a question. I don't know. 15 minutes is not <laughs> enough time for me to get very far in anything. So I like to take it a little bit longer and then cover these are the things mm-hmm. that I've looked at or, you know, do my best to remember what I've looked at. I will go down the rabbit hole of like, oh, well, I had five windows open and they each had 25 tabs and I don't remember where they are. But, you know, keeping track of that stuff and remembering what you've learned and mm-hmm. that leads to those questions. But I do love that idea of failing forward. That's how you make an impact and you grow. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I have the same mentality around there's the law of diminishing returns, right? So whatever that threshold is, and I think that would vary from person to person, I would say like, as a newer developer, if you've spent more than 30 minutes on something, it maybe that's a good time to go and ask someone because at a certain point, it does, it may not be detrimental, but it maybe isn't helping you enough. Like if you spent 30 minutes really digging into a problem, you've got some experience at least digging into that problem, right? And that threshold, again, could be a little bit different. But at that point, go and get some sort of support. And one of the things you mentioned several times was knowing how to ask questions. Even before that is feeling comfortable enough and pushing yourself to ask questions, which I think is where community becomes so important. Because as you are around people, either virtually or in person, more and more that you feel comfortable with, that's your network that you trust. That's your people that you know you can ask questions to. That's people that you know have gone through similar experiences. And that sort of connection is one of... I think the key indicators for all the students that I've worked with in their success is being able to connect with, ask questions, and invest in their community, whatever form that takes. Yeah, absolutely. I think anytime we have someone come and say like, well, how do you stick to a learning path or how do you not just quit? And for me, the biggest thing is it's not necessarily paying for a course. It's doing it with other people because there's the built-in accountability when you have other people there and you're less likely to want to let someone down. Not that you would be, <laughs> but it feels that way. You know, like I said, we were going to read this for our study group or we were going to cover this. And I think that that's huge. David Spinks, who does a lot of community stuff, he had this tweet this morning. I'll drop a link to it that said, 
If you follow this one rule, you'll get 100 times more out of the communities you're a member of. Every time you go to a community to ask a question, try to find one question you can answer for another member first. Give before you take in community magic aways. And I just really loved that because it does capture like what makes something a community, like the the willingness to share and to ask for help and to really think about the other people that are around you too. Mm. That's what allows for success to happen. And one thing I'll add to that, a lot of people early on feel like they don't have anything to contribute back. And I've had this conversation with people like talking about me. I see you and you're doing talks and you're doing content. You're doing all these things for free for people. Like I want to give back to people too, because I've received so much from people. And some of those people early on are just don't know what they can give back. And and my answer to that is like, just be active, like just be there and always ask your question because there's someone else out there in that community that's scared or nervous to ask that question and people are going to benefit from you asking it. So there's lots of different ways to give back. It's not just maybe answering, how do you solve this technical problem? It's being active. It's asking questions. It's showing up. It's people posting. I just created this website. You go check it out, provide some feedback or whatever it is. Like you can contribute in a lot of ways outside of just answering technical questions. Absolutely. And I know for me, when I was on my learning journey, the best help that I needed was just other people saying, I really struggle through this too. Yep. Right? Yeah. Or it was hard and I thought I was never going to make it. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not <laughs> the only one, you know? Yep. So yeah. And just, you know, being positive with other people, supporting them, offering those words, reading their blog posts, commenting on their blog posts or their videos or whatever they're doing. That kind of support is so important. As a content creator myself, I try to at least like every video or article that I read, leave emoji reactions and stuff, and then try to leave comments on most of them too. It helps the algorithm for everybody. So it's beneficial. And then like just seeing that as a content creator, seeing that response, positive response from people is a big part of why we continue to do it. It's very encouraging. Right. I would love to, uh, I'm just going to encourage anybody who listens to this to just go to one content creator or somebody that you follow on Twitter today and Mm -hmm. leave them a message about how impactful their work has been. And I think that when we do that and there's no expectations like, oh, I love your stuff. And can you meet with me for an Mm -hmm. hour? (laughs) Then, you know, it becomes a little bit more transactional. But when you do that, I know for me, I just love getting those messages and Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, you know, maybe it is worth it for me to keep writing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I actually literally just had an example of this come up yesterday, the day before where I was having a conversation with a content creator about some of the comments we get. And I particularly get lots of comments. I mean, just overwhelming amount of comments from people talking about how tired I look and the bags under my eyes and stuff. And for what it's worth, like I sleep eight hours a night, like like I get plenty of sleep. That's like the one thing I don't sacrifice on. Like I take care of myself in that way. And I think that's just kind of how I've got old baggy looking eyes, I guess. And so like that's just how your face looks. Like, I know it's just, it's just, the face. but people caught me like comment on it all the time. And I like, it doesn't really bother me because it's just like, if it was a friend of mine that would do that, sure. I would take it a little more personally, but it's a stranger on the internet who doesn't know how to be supportive. But like those, those sort of things suck and they happen. But when you get that message and I got one yesterday, that's like, Hey, just wanted to tell you like, you inspire me. Your content is so good. I've learned a lot from you. I just got my first job because of this series or this video that you did and the skill that you taught me. Like those sorts of things are game changing. And like I said, is a significant part of the reason 
and affirmation and why content creators continue to create content. Absolutely. I can't say how many times I've just been overwhelmed that, you know what, I'm just, I, I'm done with, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then I get one of those messages. I'm like, okay, this is like filling up the well of positivity or something that has run dry after a while. And I just like needed that one thing to help me move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is a small thing. So just to reiterate for people, there's lots of ways that you can give back and being supportive, even if you feel like you're early on in your career. As we're talking about creating community and giving back to the community, one great way to do that is through Hashnode. So Hashnode makes it easy to start a blog in seconds on your own custom domain for free. It's fully optimized for developers and supports writing in Markdown, rich embeds, publishing from a GitHub repository, syntax highlighting, and edge caching with Next.js blogs deployed on Burstow. On top of this, your article gets instant readership from the growing community. James and I have talked before on the podcast about how valuable creating content is and how developing an online presence really does give you respect and credibility in the tech space. And really, there's no better way to do that than through Hashnode. So be sure to go to Hashnode.com and join the community. Special thanks to Hashnode for being a Compressed FM sponsor. I have this thing that I posted on Twitter about one time, and I'm kind of curious what your like blind reaction to it is. I think it'll probably make sense to you, but I want to rename networking. I don't ever want to use networking again. I want to rename it to investing in your community and blind reaction thoughts. What do you think? I like it. Uh, I think that it starts to take away that transactional Mm -hmm. nature of things. And I think that, you know, I hear people say it all the time, like, you shouldn't be about this transaction that you're having, because that's not meaningful. You're not making real connections there. And that's not ultimately probably what you're after. But Mm -hmm. when you contribute back to the community, when you invest in it, you're creating those bonds that are going to last you a really long time. And those are going to be the things that will will help you when you don't expect it. Yeah. I mean, I think you're spot on with why I came up with that myself. Because networking has this terrible connotation to me. And one of the things I remember from college, one statement is networking our relationship management is the key to success. And I think there's so much truth in that. But networking has this cold, sterile, negative connotation of salesman, woman, of people coming, hi, I'm James, I do this, what do you do? Oh, well, I can blah, 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 or could you help me, blah, blah, whatever it is. So just, I want to move away from the intimidation factor of networking, because I think we all have this like recommendation for people that are looking to break in a tech, looking to get a new job, looking to get a promote, like whatever it is that they're looking for. Networking is so big, right? We talk about, I got this job from knowing somebody on Twitter and I found out about this job and someone else shared this job. And I was able to bypass these interviews because I know this person and they know the work I've done. Like all these things are hundred percent true. But when we tell people to go out there and network, it's very intimidating. But if we say like, just go be active like that inherently. Like if you're supportive of other people, they're going to be supportive of you. If you just look at it from a selfish perspective, it's the best way to get more visibility for yourself too, by being a genuine member of community. So people are going to think about you when they have job openings or when they have opportunities, whatever it is. Right. So yeah, I just, I have never liked the idea of the word connotation wise networking. And I think if we could encourage people that it's not this, unnatural thing. It's just like, go out there and just be there and be natural and be part of the community. Yeah. The job that I am in now, I asked the head of our DevRel team, like, well, why did you reach out to me? Because it's a a Twitter DM that led to this position. 
and we were kind of talking through it. And, and one of the things I think maybe you said the top thing was because of your empathy. And that's not something that's on a resume. You know, yeah. that's not something that you necessarily demonstrate in interview process, right? Like that's understanding how people work with other people and whether or not that's a person that you want to work with. And so I hadn't had interactions with him prior to any of the interviews, but you can see the type Mm -hmm. of people who are out there because of content creation and Twitter and all of the things that are happening now. And that's really valuable. And that's you know, again, away from that transactional nature mm-hmm. of networking. And it is just investing in the people around you. Yeah. I don't think there's anyone out there could say that you've ever cheated or what's the word? Shorthanded? Short? Oh, anyway, cheated in your efforts to support the community. I think everyone who has been around and seen the stuff that you've done would agree that it's 100% genuine. And that's another conversation that I have with developers too, is like, especially for people that are transitioning from different careers, they often are like, I don't have any strengths. I don't have any experience that's relevant to tech. And the reality is you do, you just have to learn how to sell it, right? So you talked about empathy. That's not a thing that is directly, quote unquote, related to being a developer, right? It's not directly related to writing code. It's helpful for being a good developer, but it's not directly related to writing code itself. For me, like I've told people, what is your reason? What's your why? If you're going to a company and they're like, why should we hire you? What's your why? And my why is that I'm a teacher. If you hire me on your team, I'm going to make your entire team better. We're going to get better together because inherently I'm a teacher. That has nothing to do with the code that I write. That has everything to do with my impact in other areas and on the team. So I think you have to kind of lean into that and craft your own story around it to say this is going to pay dividends if you hire me because of these reasons. Yeah, absolutely. I think somebody was asking in the chat about getting back into web development is hard to find motivation. And I feel that on a number of levels, you know, it does happen. And I don't think that it happens just when you're starting your career. I think you could be doing it for a while and start to lose that motivation. And I think, you know, finding, you know, why you're doing it, finding a community of people that support you as you're doing it. Those are all valuable ways to get that motivation or Mm -hmm. to find a little bit of energy to get the momentum to start moving forward again. And so I think, you know, even sharing your story is a valuable way to find the community that you want to be a part of. Because when I was in boot camp, I had just started, I had an educational coach, her name's Katie McKenna. And I had just gone through a pretty major life trauma. And she knew about it because that was my scholarship essay. And Mm -hmm. She said, do you mind if I share a trauma that I went through? And I said, go ahead. And she had been run over by a semi-truck and wrote a book about it called How to Get Run Over by a Truck, which is very good. I recommend it. Wow. Um, And she taught me so much. And she said, at some point, Becca, we don't share our stories for ourselves. We share them to invite other people to share theirs. And it goes back into that, like deepening those relationships with other people because you make those connections through storytelling which is funny because I'm writing this blog for next week about storytelling in your writing. So I have like <laughs> all these tabs up and, you know, storytelling triggers oxytocin, a hormone to be released that gives us connection with other people. It lights up our brains and our neural neurons because this is where human beings, we are hardwired for this connectivity. And it just starts with that story. So start with who you are and why you're here. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I won't put you on the spot for the whole story, but I got to see Becca's story in person at KCDC. And that, I mean, it was one of the most 
authentic and real talks I think I've ever seen. And I think everybody kind of walked out with that same level of connection. And I think that's the thing that I love most about people and being around people and the extroverted aspect of myself is having those connections and finding those things that we share and things that we can learn from each other. I just added the how to get run over by a truck book to my list of books. And there was one comment I did want to read and just say thank you for this is from Digi Driver a little bit above is not to jump on the bandwagon talking to me, but you genuinely helped me out in a moment when I was trying to figure out how to manage time. Your content helped me. I appreciate you, especially in this day and age. I'm keenly aware of how important it is to push each other. Thank you. So one, sincere thank you for that comment. And just to reiterate again, there's that sort of stuff goes a very long way. And especially for people who are giving their time and their energy to create content, to show appreciation for that, even if it's not money, especially if it's not money, to just show that you support that and that you're there and appreciate all the things that they do is a game changer. So I would say like takeaway for everybody that's here, if you like the next blog post that you read, the next video that you watch, make sure to like, comment and leave something supportive to let them know that you enjoyed the content that they created. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say uh, thanks for being at my talk at KCDC. That was a, one of the hardest talks I have ever given. I cried during that talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I had given a version of that talk online. It's different if you're crying in your own room mm-hmm. at a computer <laughs> than when you're at a tech talk crying in front of an audience of people. And like mm-hmm. there was a moment during the talk where I thought, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I could do this. I yeah. just might need to like walk out. I don't, how do you handle this? But you know, I saw you there. And I think maybe Taylor, uh, mm-hmm. Dresden was there too. Yep. And just like having that support of people that I knew and I, we had just met like maybe the night before yep. in real life. So, but it was enough to see like, okay, I have support in this room. I am safe and I can keep going with this. And it's probably my favorite talk that I've ever given. I mean, it's definitely one of mine from a like audience perspective and most memorable. And to your point about like you and I and Taylor had just met the day before, we'd all been kind of aware of each other on Twitter. And and this is where I think like this idea of community can be so impactful because I, like I consider us friends. I can't wait for us to be at the next in-person one. I think is going to be render in the summer. Is that right? Are you going to render? I don't think I'm going to render. I will be at Stir Trek giving a talk. And then I don't know where else I'm going to be. Well, I'm helping planning for momentum in October. So I Mm. I will be there if anybody else is going to. And that's the one that's the one that Michael runs in Cincinnati. Yes. Cool. Sweet. But yeah, I think, again, to reiterate, like, we had not spent much time talking. Like, I don't know if you remember, but I went to a virtual coffee. Like I just, I think Drew Clemens had recommended it. And I just like popped in. I had no idea who was who and what was what. And that was the only time that we had seen each other, I think, for like a couple of minutes on Zoom and then got to hang out in person. And that's, I don't know, it's cool and even more exciting for this upcoming year, how many hopefully people I've known on social for you know years, I get to meet in person to actually like build those in-person relationships with. Yeah, that's awesome. I am I, kind of an introvert, sometimes an extrovert. But when I go to conferences and I don't know anyone, it, I just am like immediately terrified mm-hmm. and just standing awkwardly yep. in a corner. So it's so nice to have this experience where I do know these people and I can reach out to them and like, oh, hey, yes, I know mm-hmm. you. It it decreases the nerves that I have going into rooms full of people. Yep. I am mostly a very extroverted person but not when I don't know people. I do not like the initial small talk. I don't like doing that. But as soon as I get to know someone at all, I'm like, I'm all in. Like we we are now 
ready to do everything at this conference together, which I think is like every conference you go to, you need at least one person that you can check in. Says, are you are you going to lunch? Are you going to this talk that you can sit with and hang out? Yeah, I was at a conference recently and I just, I knew a couple of people, but I found myself in the lunchroom frequently by myself and mm. I just couldn't make <laughs> friends. I was so bad. I would like ask someone if I could sit down and then I would and then they would like get up two minutes later and leave and I was like, okay. Just sit here again by myself. Mm-hmm. It was a rough experience, so I don't don't recommend yep. that. It is really nice to have people that, if you are like me and nervous in those crowds of people, and I'm also very bad at small talk, to have. I don't even know. It's not even like you need friends. Like we didn't know each other prior mm-hmm. to going to the conference, but I feel like we immediately did <laughs> once we we met. So yep. yeah, yeah. And I, the piece of advice for everyone else attending conferences, especially if you have seen some of the speakers before or you've watched some of their content, like you recognize some of the speakers' names, like don't be afraid to just say, go up and do the thing we just said, right? Hey, it's really nice to meet you. I've appreciated your content, et cetera. That may like fade off fast because it may just get into small talk at that point. But don't be afraid because like we are just as nervous at conferences to meet people and some of us are more shy or more outgoing than others. So it helps us for other people to help break the ice sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely. So we got two questions for you as we wrap up. One is the soapbox. And this is just kind of your opportunity to kind of rant on something. And just a reminder. So you mentioned a person-centered approach to build both internal and external communities. Do you want to take a couple of minutes to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So the talk I think that I gave for KCDC was a person-centered approach to tech. And it's a concept that I've kind of borrowed from the medical field where it's a patient-centered approach, I think. So it's seeing the person in front of you first. So you're not seeing the symptoms or you know the problem. You're seeing there's a human being. Let me learn about this person here. And I think that so often we think in terms of, okay, what is this person's position and how can they help me? And it goes back to that idea of, you know, what are the transactions? So, so rather than saying like, well, this is a front end developer, this is a person who is this person outside of work. Let's have an understanding that we are all going through something different every single day. And there needs to be that empathy and understanding and openness to allow us to grow together. And I think that that helps us to create trust with one another. It creates safe work environments. It allows us to grow and innovate if that's the goal, because you start to create that environment where you're not afraid to be open, where you're not afraid to fail and For me, it starts with your internal community. So I'm working on creating strategy for external community at DeepGram right now. We just launched a hackathon yesterday with Dev2 that we're going to be live streaming on in 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) But for me, it was knowing about the internal community. So what does it look like? How do people work together? Because if you have a bad internal community, then the chances of you developing a strong external community, I think are much less. So, you know, let's look at the people in front of us. Let's hear what they have to say. And our mission at Deep Graham is every voice heard and understood. And I just, I love that because I feel like that's been kind of my personal mission in some way, shape or form over the last five years. And back to this person-centered approach of don't just ask them the question so you can get the answer, like actually understand what the person in front of you is saying. Listen without thinking, how am I going to respond next? And it's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like 
it's something that I have to try really hard to do and I'm not great at it, but it's just that constant search to understand the humans around us. Yeah. And we've already had a good example talking point of developers being more than just code writers, right? Like a big part of your getting the role that you're in was empathy, something again, like seemingly unrelated to writing code, but that's not the case. It has its impact and that's just part of you as a person. And we've got an interesting comment in the chat from DigiDriver of that example, reminding them of the TV show House, if you've ever watched it. It's a very smart doctor who thinks outside the box and he pays attention to things about patients and their environments and stuff that most doctors ignore. And because of that, he's able to come up with these like seemingly wild diagnosis to patients' problems. But it's because, and actually he in some ways is not the best example because he's kind of an ass to people. But the idea of him like paying attention to the whole thing, I think resonates here. Yeah, absolutely. There was um, a negotiation book I read this summer. Oh, it's by an FBI negotiator. Never split the difference. That's what it's Mm. called. And one of the key takeaways was listening. You know, he's negotiating with terrorists. And for him, you have to 100% listen and not think, what am I going to say next? And for me, that's not what I would have thought about negotiation. I would have thought like, you have to constantly keep Mm -hmm. thinking. And I experimented on my nieces and nephews and children uh, on vacation this summer. (laughs) My one niece was having a meltdown. I was like, I can handle this. I just finished a book on terrorist negotiations. (laughs) And we we came to uh, an understanding and and I navigated that five-year-old, (laughs) six-year-old tantrum. So I, I feel like that just has prepared me for life. Love it. If you can negotiate with a terrorist, surely you can negotiate with children. <laughs> That's my big takeaway today. Yeah, um, yeah. Last section on here, just community shout outs. I think these will kind of reiterate some of the stuff that we've already mentioned. I mean, I'll throw some links in the chat as you do, but feel free to shout out any communities that you would like. Yeah. Well, virtual coffee happens to be my favorite one. I have been very fortunate to like start collecting all of these positive communities. So there's also... Cincinnati software craftsmanship. <laughs> Always have to think about it. CSC, Michael Richardson runs that one. And he is also the one that's working on Momentum Conference. And CFE.dev is a great one that we partner with at Virtual Coffee. Of course, you know, we have Learn, Build, Teach community on Discord, which is great. Oh, and one of my teammates runs You Got This events which I don't think I dropped in the links. I should grab it. But that has a lot of really great resources on core skills and offers really supportive content, I would say. I just noticed that Alciro is a supporter of You Got This. Their logo is on there. So that's cool. There's lots of great companies on there. Cool. So check out Virtual Coffee at Virtual Coffee IO um, on Twitter as well. I think they'll have a link on the website to the Slack if they want to join that. Is that right? You have to attend a coffee before you can join Slack. So right now we're like going through some transition phases and we're working on some big things to come. So signups for that will hopefully be out shortly so we can do some cool new things this year. Cool. I love when we get some teasers. (laughs) I feel like that's all I did today. (laughs) I know. Yeah, but it's good. So everybody make sure to pay attention to everything that Becca does from now on. So you know what the (laughs) teasers were all about. Well, cool. Becca, thank you for coming on. It seems like we aren't as aligned on conferences as I thought, but hopefully there has to be one this year that we will. Because my entire plan changed. (laughs) (laughs) Which is all good. That's part of it. But thank you again for coming on. Thank you everyone for listening in and comments. And for people that are listening 
on the podcast published episode after the fact. Thank you as well. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, please make sure to leave a rating and review and all the things and let us know so that we can help other people find the podcast as well. In the next episode, next week, we're going to have Brittany Postma on, one of the mods from the Learn, Build, Teach Discord and a very active in the Svelte community. We're going to have her on. But in the meantime, for this episode, that's all we got.